Hey, would you give a warm Mount Pleasant welcome to Dr. Paul Chitwood? Thanks, Well, that is a warm welcome. Thank you for that. Thank you, Pastor Joy, for uh, the invitation to be here today. Thank you for your leadership uh, here at Mount Pleasant. We're grateful for all the Lord is doing through you and your family and uh, the pastoral staff here and, and this church family, not only in, in reaching this community, but what you're doing around the world. And on behalf of your 3,641 International Mission Board missionaries, that's the latest head count, uh, they're serving all over the world with their 2,700 children. Uh, how grateful we are uh, for your prayers for them. Thank you for uh, giving to support them. Uh, thank you for sending out from your own church and for many of you going on those mission trips. Uh, you are such a blessing. Uh, glad to have my wife, Michelle, and their two younger daughters, Kai and Lily, uh, with me here this morning. They don't always get to travel with me. I usually preach somewhere across uh, the country uh, about every Sunday. They make some of the trips, but they don't make all of them, and I don't blame them. But uh, it's good to be close to home. We live up in the Midlothian area. Uh, and remember at Staples Mill Road Baptist Church uh, uh, here and and. Conservative Baptist Virginia Convention, and so grateful for uh, the fellowship that we have with our churches. Uh, some good news this morning. Uh, it's been a difficult year. Well, we know many challenges, uh, but uh, with the help of two of your own, Miranda and Claire, uh, and our entire team uh, at uh, uh, the Richmond office, uh, we were able to process 422 new missionaries who were appointed uh, during the COVID year, and many of them have deployed to the field. We have about 150 adults and kids uh, who are finishing up their last two weeks of training at the International Learning Center in the Richmond area, uh, getting ready to deploy. Uh, and so to, to think that, that the mission continues to go forward uh, during these days, in spite of the challenges that we face, uh, is indeed good news, and I uh, wanted to be able to celebrate it with you. We thank you for your part in it. I want to share with you this morning from a passage of Scripture in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, and uh, as you're turning there or clicking that on or maybe just turning your attention to the screen here in just a moment, uh, I want to uh, pose a question for you. Uh, in light of everything that's going on in our world today, in our lives, in our communities, in light of what we know of Scripture, do you think heaven will be better than earth? Do you think heaven will be better than earth? I believe heaven's going to be better than earth. Uh, as much as I've enjoyed the worship team, great job team leading us this morning, I believe worship in heaven is going to be even better than what we experienced uh, here on earth this morning. Uh, I believe that uh, heaven's going to be better for so many other reasons. There's no COVID in heaven. <laughs> uh, there's no presidential elections in heaven. Uh, there is uh, no cancer in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no death in heaven. Heaven? Well, it's heaven. <laughs> Which leads me to another question. Why are we here? If heaven is so good, why doesn't God just save us and take us to heaven? Well, the answer to that question, I believe, is because heaven is not yet what heaven will be. Heaven is not yet what God intends for it to be. And what we find in the scripture, John describes it as being 
as John, a servant of the Lord, is able to, in a vision, see heaven as it will someday be. And here's what John describes. Revelation 7, beginning in verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful picture John is able to see. Not heaven as it was yet in his day. Not heaven as it is in our day. But heaven as it will someday be. How do we know this is not a description of heaven uh, in John's day and our day? Because John describes what he sees as being a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages of the world. And even one of the slides on the screen this morning, maybe you noticed it, referenced the number of peoples, people groups around the world who have yet to be engaged with the gospel. If they've not been engaged with the gospel, they've not heard the good news about Jesus, not put their trust in him, we know that they've not yet been saved. And that's why we're here. We're here because they're still out there. This morning as we look closely at this vision of heaven that God allowed John to see, I want us to ask just some basic questions of the text and and I pray that from that you and I will better understand why, why we are here even today. Uh, the first question we'll ask is who? Uh, when John's able to see in heaven, who does John say that he saw? After this I look, John says, and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. You know, when we pause enough from the busyness of life uh, uh, to, to think much about heaven, especially to think deeply about heaven, usually there are questions that begin to flood our mind. What's heaven like? What, what will we be doing in heaven? Who will be there in heaven? And one of the things that John makes clear is that, that heaven is inclusive. Heaven's not inclusive in the sense that Everyone is going to be there because we know that's simply not the case. The Bible says that we're sinners. Uh, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We know there's no sin in heaven. And so how do we get to heaven? Well, only those who have put their trust in Jesus, who died for our sin, and who was raised from the dead, who've acknowledged him as Lord, for that's who he is. The Bible says they will be saved and they'll be in heaven. And so heaven's not inclusive in the sense that everyone will be there because only those who have heard and believe the gospel will be there. But heaven is inclusive in the sense that someone will be there from every nation. Someone from every tribe, from all the languages and peoples of the world. Heaven is inclusive in the sense that there will be a representative of every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages. Church, that's why we're still here. 
Because indeed, there are thousands of unreached peoples around the world. Thousands of unengaged, that is to say, no one is even reaching out to them uh, with a strategy for all the missionaries that, that you support and that you've sent out from your church and that we sent out as Southern Baptists. There aren't yet enough to get the gospel everywhere to all the peoples of the world. There is still work to be done. And that's why we're here. That's why the Lord didn't save you and take you to heaven. There's still people who need to hear and believe the gospel. Some of them may be members of your family. Surely there are thousands across this community. There are hundreds of thousands across this state, millions across the nation, billions around the world. And that's why we're here, because the who aren't there yet. Well, let's ask another question. And the question is where? Where, where? where are they? We've been talking about heaven, and John describes it in this way. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. That's the who, all the tribes and peoples and languages. Where are they? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're not just in heaven. <laughs> They're in the very presence of God. Uh, they're standing before the Savior, before Jesus himself. They're, they are there where God wants them to be because uh, he, he indeed has made it possible for us to be with him, to see him as we are seen by him, to know him as we are known by him. He points us in this passage to the reality of, of heaven, a place where, where we will be present, not just us, but those who we have shared with there before the very throne of God. The Bible speaks of heaven as this house not made with hands. And Jesus said, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Remember in the gospel of John, uh, Jesus told his followers before he was crucified, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go there to prepare a place for you. I'm looking forward to uh, the mansion, the house, the home in heaven. We all need a house, don't we? Uh, I want to thank you for building a house. Uh, my wife, Michelle, and I, and daughter, Kai, had the opportunity to see a house that you built, that, that you and your generosity provided for in northern Uganda. It's in a very interesting place. If you were picking out a place to build a house, this may not be the first place you would think of. Uh, the old real estate line is location, 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 right? It matters where you build a house. Well, you've built a house in a rather strange place. If we think about property values, you've built a house in a refugee camp. Uh, unusual, however, is this house not just for where you chose to build it, it's unusual for uh, who lives in it. There's a 16-year-old boy who lives in that house and his four younger siblings. Now, you didn't build them a big house. It's not like your house or my house. In fact, the size of the house would probably be about, uh, well, about from here to the 
to the drum set. In fact, you can think of that screen, that box around the drum set as about half the house because that's about the size of half the house. And, and it actually has two rooms. So if you doubled that, you'd have the size of the full house. And it's made of brick. It has a dirt floor. It has a tin roof. Uh, th there's no plumbing or electricity. You don't have those advantages in a refugee camp. Why would you build a house uh, for five kids in a refugee camp? Well, those five kids, if you noticed who wasn't in the house, not a mom or a dad, not an adult at all. Those five kids had fled from South Sudan where war and genocide has wreaked havoc, taken so many lives, presumably the lives of their parents. Somehow they escaped on foot all the way into Uganda, wandered into a refugee camp, and there two of your missionaries who you pray for and support, found out about the plight of these kids. Uh, they went out to them, began to make sure their needs were met. They literally had nothing, homeless, hungry, in a refugee camp. And then your love was extended to them, and they were fed. And they have a house now, shelter, safety, and they've heard the good news about a Savior who loves them. These orphans have learned about a father who wants to adopt them. And about a Savior who's, who's gone to prepare a place for them for all eternity. Thank you for loving them. That, that's where those who believe will be there before the throne in the Father's house and in His family, where the who will be for all eternity according to the vision. How do they get there? Well, let's ask that question, how, of the vision. Again, uh, we, we, we see who. John said, I looked, and a, a great multitude, no one can number, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, where, standing before the throne and before the land, they're in heaven. Now notice this next phrase, very symbolic clothed in white robes, clothed in white robes. What do those white robes symbolize? Well, we, we know if something is white, then it's clean, right? If, if, uh, if you want to uh, have something uh, in your life that you always want to know when it's dirty, then get something white. <laughs> Uh, because white shows every stain. It shows every mark. It shows every bit of the dirt. Well, the Bible says about us as human beings that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all stained with sin. The Bible says the one who sins is a slave to sin. How is it, if there's no sin in heaven, that a sinner like me or you could be there? Well, it's the how of salvation. And that's what those white robes symbolize. They symbolize uh, the one who has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the one who has had his or her sins washed away by the shed blood of, cross, of Christ upon the cross of Calvary, where he paid the debt of sin in full. And the Bible says any who trust in him and what he did, any who turn from their sin and turn to the Savior in repentance, trusting him in faith, confessing him as Lord, you're forgiven. You're pardoned in full. You're cleansed. His righteousness becomes your own. It's the how 
of salvation. How a Savior came and he did what needed to be done. And now any who would trust in him, believing the gospel and confessing him as Lord, will be saved. And yet I want to share with you this morning about two who I recently became aware of who have never heard the gospel, but I believe they'll be in heaven. Two who have never heard the gospel, but I believe they'll be in heaven. You say, well, wait a minute. You said you got to hear the gospel and, and, and believe the gospel. Well, well, let me tell you about these two. Uh, the story starts with the Theological Training Center for the Deaf in Nashville, Tennessee, that the International Mission Board uses to train missionaries to the deaf and deaf missionaries. Well, during COVID, there was a, a couple of guys who came for training who were actually originally from Indonesia. Uh, and uh, they learned how to share the gospel and their testimony in, in sign language. Uh, wanting to practice, they reached out to a group of their deaf friends in Indonesia and asked them if they would join them for an online meeting, something very important they had that they wanted to share with them. And, and, and the time came and they had the gathering online. And, and uh, these two individuals who had recently been trained uh, at the center that you provide for in Nashville, Tennessee, they spent an hour sharing their testimony and sharing the gospel and sign. And at the end of that hour, two of their deaf friends in Indonesia believed. They put their trust in Jesus, confessed him as Lord, and were saved. We're connecting them to a local church in Indonesia where uh, they're being discipled and baptized. But there's two individuals, having never heard the gospel, <laughs> but clearly coming to understand it through sign language, who will be in heaven. Uh, who, where, how? Well, now let's ask another question. Let's ask why. It's usually the first question that's asked. It's the question that uh, little kids ask over and over and over again, repeatedly, like, why, why, daddy, why? Well, John says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, where? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. How did they get there? They're clothed in white robes, the robes of salvation. Why are they there? John says they're there with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why are they there? They are there for the same reason that we are here. They've gathered to worship. Uh, they've gathered to honor and glorify the one who has given hope to them, the one who has forgiven them, the one who has uh, given them life, the one who has set them free from their slavery to sin, the one uh, who has rescued them from hell and for all eternity promised a place in his kingdom for them. He has provided for it, and indeed he's worthy. He's the Lamb of glory slain before the foundation of the world. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the beloved Son of the Father, the Scriptures say, who took the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And He's worthy. He's worthy to hear His praises sang in every language He's placed upon the tongues of men and women. He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our living. He's worthy of our dying. He's worthy of everything. And for all eternity, 
he will receive the worship and the honor and the praise that he deserves. And that's why they're there. There to enjoy his presence. There to sing his praises. This vision of heaven where all the tears, the book of Revelation says, will be wiped away. There's no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. It's beautiful, meaningful for me and you if we are in Christ. Not just because we get to be there. Because as we look around there, we'll be able to see others who are there. Others whom God used us to share with. A family member, a neighbor, a friend, a stranger, five boys in a refugee camp in in Uganda who you've never met but you loved and you sent a missionary to. Deaf in Indonesia, who you and I could never communicate with, but we were a part of seeing that they were able to understand the good news about Jesus. We'll be able to look around and see people from every nation, from all the tribes and languages of the world, and say, thank you, Lord, for letting us have some small part in them being here. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And so it brings us to the final question. So what? Not the so what that uh, your teenager may ask. (laughs) Really, it's not a question at all. (laughs) It's a statement, (laughs) right? No, not that kind of so what. This kind of so what. So what does this mean for me? Lord, I've seen the vision of heaven. So what would you have me do? What what does this mean for my life? So what should I do now? I want to answer that question with a personal illustration, if I may. There's a couple of deacons from a little Baptist church in a town on the state line of Tennessee and Kentucky in the mountains who met for visitation one evening. Uh, best I know, they were the only ones that showed up. But they set out from the church parking lot, walking through the town, knocking on doors, inviting people uh, to go to church. They made their way up the hill where the, uh, the houses end and the mountain starts and stepped onto the porch of a little rental house at 210 Province Street. They knocked on the door, and there was a young man in his late 20s who who came to the door. And somewhere behind him in the house, there was a a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy. They may or may not have known that he was recently divorced and raising those three boys on his own. But when he came to the door, they invited him to come to church. My father accepted their invitation. And that Sunday, I don't know how he managed to get three rambunctious boys ready for church by himself, but he did. And we went. 
And the Sunday after that, we went again, and it became the pattern uh, for our family. And what we found when we went was a church family, a lot like this one, a church family that loved and welcomed in uh, the broken, loved and welcomed in those who needed to know about the Lord and those who needed a church. Uh, they not only welcomed us and loved us, sort of helped raise us from there on out and, and helped our family to heal. It was a few years later when there was another knock at our door there at 210 Province Street one evening, and it was our pastor, Pastor Alan Herod. Dad had invited him to come. My older brother had questions about the gospel, about what it would mean for him to be saved. And, and Pastor Alan came, and he, he said, I remember in, in, in the green chair in the corner of our living room, and Dad brought a chair out of the kitchen and set it in front of Pastor Alan, and my older brother sat there. My younger brother and I, we sat in the floor, and we listened as our pastor shared the gospel with my older brother. And Pastor Allen got three for one that night as the three of us put our trust in Jesus and were saved. We were baptized together a few weeks later in the baptistry of the little First Baptist Church in Jellicoe, Tennessee. Oh, I'm thankful for a couple of deacons who knew why they were there, who knew why they were servants of the Lord and servants in the church, who, who, who knew that they had neighbors who who needed the Lord. I'm thankful for a pastor who, like your pastor, lots to do, a, a busy ministry in his own family, but who took time to come and sit in our living room and share the gospel with us. I'm thankful for a church like Mount Pleasant Baptist that knows why it's here. You're here because they're still out there. And they're still over there. And there are billions of them. And it's why the Lord still has us here. Oh, don't ever forget why you're here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for letting us see heaven as it will someday be. Thank you, Lord, for the days that you've left us here and given us a small part in helping heaven become what it will someday be. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless and use this church not only to reach the lost in this community, but to the very ends of the earth. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today or watching online who you're calling to go to the nations, Lord, give them the courage to answer and to answer without delay. Lord, give them a determination to live out the purpose for which you've left them here. And Lord, might... Uh, you continue to use all of us and certainly this church to make heaven what it will someday be. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.